Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning and welcome. We are continuing a series in James, Practical Living in James. This is... Uh, Such a fantastic series. I think this is week nine of the series. This is now officially the longest series I've ever done. Um, And we are only halfway done with the book, so it's going to be a while. If you, this is your first time here, and you're like, oh, no, I'm in the middle of the series. I won't know what's going on. Don't you worry. I will catch you up real quick, okay? It's all right. Um, So for for the next, you know, three hours, I will be catching you up on the last eight messages, and then we'll finish. No, no, I would never do that. Uh, But James is a, such this practical book of the Bible. It's loaded with things for us to, to be able to apply to our lives. And today is uh, no exception to that. We are in the middle of really kind of talking about the debate uh, between uh, works and faith, deeds and faith in chapter 2. Uh, what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? How does faith look like? What, am, I, am I born into this faith idea? Am I, uh, am I good because I was at a church camp when I was six years old and I accepted Jesus and I, I really haven't done anything else with Jesus for the rest of my life? But you know what? That day at six years old, I was cool. Um, so then I'm good. What does this all look like for us? What does it mean? How does it apply to me? There's some really, 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 really important insights that we've got to grab a hold of um, this morning, okay? Um, I know before I even go farther, I know Father's Day for some of us is hard, okay? Um, it is difficult. Some of you have lost a father in the last year or two. I know I will be eating a butterscotch malt today in honor of Mike Reidenauer. Um, that's our thing on Father's Day, because um, that's what he would do. Um, so it's just kind of, you know, sometimes there's that introspective, and there's a little heartache, and there's sometimes there's a little joy, sometimes there's a little whatever that looks like for you. Um, but sometimes I know Father's Day is hard. It can be a time of enjoyment and uh, excitement, but sometimes it just aches a little bit. And so for those of you who have lost a dad uh, lately, uh, my heart goes out to you, and uh, I, I hope today you can remember all the wonderful wonderful things about your father, okay? Um, As we step into this, being a dad is hard. Can we just go ahead and get that out of the way? Being a dad is hard because you want to be fun and you want to love your kids, but you also kind of want to strangle them. Is that, is that fatherhood like wrapped up into a sentence? Like that's, that's, that's it, right? I mean, it's parenting in a, in a sentence. But today we're going to talk about a dude who actually God told him to go sacrifice to kill his kid. And he was like, okay. <laughs> I got a 12-year-old son and I get to, I mean, you know, I did, uh, no. But that's, we're going to talk about a weird story about a dad. who God actually asked him to say, hey, climb that mountain with your kid and you're going to sacrifice your kid. And you're going to be like, how are you going to make that make sense in the faith world? Just wait, there's more, okay? It's really one of the most important messages in the scripture about parenting. And it's kind of one of the weirdest messages about parenting as well. So let's just wait, hold on to that a little bit. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. If you want to read the backstory and not listen to me, uh, you can read about Abraham in Genesis as well, and, and then that'll be good for you. The scripture's always better than me anyway, so hey, if you want to be distracted and read the scripture, I'm, I won't take offense to that. Now, if you're on Facebook, I'll be a little upset, but um, that's what's going on there. Okay, so as I look at fatherhood, um, and I look at the scripture, 
it's one of these areas in which I look at the scripture and I'm like, I can be better than those guys. Like David is a terrible father. Terrible. His son tries to kill him on multiple occasions. Like so far, we're doing okay with Bowen. Like he hasn't tried to kill, not that I know of. We're doing okay, right? So, hey, I could be a better dad than David. The man after God's own heart, I can, I can, I can one-up that guy. You know, like all these guys, these prophets, they're, they're terrible dads, terrible. And I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get it and as, as I kind of like, God, why didn't you give us just this amazing example of a father? He's like, yeah, that's because I'm the amazing example of the father, not these knuckleheads that I'm working with. I was like, oh, you're smart. Thanks, God. Like that was, these are the conversations I had with God was I'm praying in my office and reading the scripture. I'm like, oh, because you're the good father. I think there's a song about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because you are the one who loves us and cares. Oh, okay. I, I get it. So, but even these guys who are walking with God, they're, they're, they're daily going after him. They're doing these things. They mess up and they become sometimes pretty bad dads. This is one area of the Bible that we can say, hey, you know what? I can do better than these guys. And that's always kind of my encouragement. Hey, I can, I can get this. I can, I can do better than that. And so we're going to talk about Abraham today a little bit about how he parented and the weird call on his life and what that has to do with our parenting and our just living out this faith. If you're not a parent, don't check out on me. This has a lot to do with everyone's faith, okay? Um, it just has a little bit more to do with parenting today than Um, the normal in this series of James. If we're going to understand the book of James, if we're going to understand what this looks like, how do we interpret the rest of the book of James? The very first sentence, the very first like seven words of of the book are the most important to get to know everything else. It is as follows. James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. You've got to get this. Right, James, a bond servant. Underline bond servant if you haven't already. Highlight it, imprint it, smack it on your forehead. Whatever you need to do. James, a bond servant of God and of Jesus Christ. This is so important because of what a bond servant is. By calling yourself a bond servant, that means that God has become your master. And how does He become your master? He has paid the price for your past, for your present, and for your future. So if I submit myself and I'm saying, God, a bond servant is basically an indentured servant. Someone, I would come to somebody and say, I need you to pay the price for me so I can get out of debt. I can get out of jail. I can get an education, whatever that looks like. I want you to pay the price for me. And then my future belongs to you. And so James is, is structuring this in such a way that everyone would understand this idea of slavery, this idea of bond servant, um, indentured servanthood, and to say, I'm coming to you and I need you to pay the price for my past, for my present, and for my future. Does this make sense? Okay, we've said that a lot of times, but folks, this can radically change the way in which we view our, even our relationship with God, the idea that I am a bond servant of God. Now, God has also set us free and made us co-heirs with Christ. He is the good father. He is the amazing master that says, yes, I will pay the price for you, but I also have a new future for you, and I will set you up. You, don't, you are no longer slaves. You are a co-heir with Christ, which is this awesome thing, but we still have to have the mentality that God has paid. We can't forget that God has paid the price for our past and our, our present and our future. And honestly, I get a little cranky. I get a little pity party. I get a little trying to tell God what to do, and I forget. 
I, I remember that I'm a co-heir with Christ, and I forgot that he paid the price. I'm probably the only one in the room, right? I'm the only one that gets cranky with God and, and get entitled and stuff, right? Cool? Okay. Yeah. You, everyone's like, not me. I don't ever do that. But that's, that's what I do, and I and probably have to deal with that this morning. I have to deal with some of this, this idea that uh, God owes me something. Because as we look at Abraham in the story we're going to look at in the scripture, Abraham could really, 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 really tap into the idea that, yeah, God, you, you, you're asking too much. You owe me this kid. And that's, that's a tough place to be. And so we're going to step into what that looks like today. As we understand who, who and what we are as bond servants, we really understand who and what we are as Christ followers. And as we step into that, as we learn from that, as we lean into it to say, you know what? He is the master and I am the servant. That starts to change the way we make decisions. It starts to shift the way in which we have our priorities. If we're truly bond servants, this is, should start to change the way in which we make decisions as parents, as couples. It should change the way in which we make uh, decisions on even our, our careers. Because at first, it's, it's what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? What do I think looks best? Instead of what, what is God, my master, the one who bought my past, my present, and my future? What does he want from me? It's, it's a shift. I don't know. As a, a, even while I was deciding to go into ministry, I, I don't even know if I could, if I could say I, I really was asking, God, what do you want out of me? And listening. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, that's, that's a question we probably haven't really thought about. We think about, God, what do you want from me in this situation when we're already in trouble? Right? It's the uh-oh button. Right? Like, oh, now I'll pray. Uh, I got myself in this hole and digging deeper doesn't get me out of the hole. So, God, how do I, what, what do I do? That, once again, that's just me. No one else does that. Let's see what's going on in James 2, verse 18 this morning. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Show you my faith by my deeds. How am I putting in action? You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, I don't know about you, but this part is not underlined in my scripture. Like, I was like, I don't want to touch. This is a weird story. It's one I've kind of gone, what are you thinking, God? Why would you do this? Let's give a little backstory. If you're not familiar with Abraham and, and who he is, let's, let's, let's step into that. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. He is, he is the start. God makes a covenant with Abraham and said, your people are going to number like the stars in the sky. He, he makes a covenant with them, a promise. Only one problem with that promise. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, don't have any kids. It's kind of hard for your descendants to number those stars in the sky when you don't have a 
child, right? Kind of required. And so years pass, and Sarah finally gets pregnant. They're like 100 years old. You imagine that? That'd be fun. It's hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, they, have a, they have a child, Isaac. He is the future. He is everything they've been wanting for, for, for so long. He is the promised child. He is the one. I mean, this kid wasn't going to be spoiled at all, right? Uh, he is the one who's, who, who is set to take the name on. He is the one that all, everything they've worked for is going towards. He is the one. And God says, Abraham, I need you to do something for me. I want you to go up on the mountain. I want you to take Isaac with me, with you. I want you to sacrifice him to me. I, I can't imagine what that would have felt like. This is my child. This is my, they've been barren for years and years. And their cry of their heart has been, I want this baby. This is the promised one. Like Bowen frustrates me, but I'm never to the point of like, oh yeah, let's 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 kill him, right? Like I I, I got I was thinking about this. I just teared up in my office thinking about God. Don't don't ask my son of me. This is my boy. And so Abraham, he we know the rest of the story. We know what's going to happen. Abraham has no clue what's going to happen. And he he walking up, he's walking up there. You can imagine the 12-year-old boy getting distracted by every scorpion and snake and everything on the way. I'm like, come here. Like, okay, it's getting easier and easier. That's the way they walk. No. Um, they walk. <laughs> so they, they walk up and they walk up and they walk up. And time comes for the, the, the sacrifice to be happening. And, and Abraham's getting ready to, to do this. And, and Isaac's like, where's the lamb? And he's like, God's going to provide it. It's cool. We got this. Can you imagine the thought process of that? And there in the thicket is a ram stuck with his horns, and God had provided. I have a problem with that story. God, that is so mean. That is so cruel. Why would you tease people like that? Why are you playing with Abraham? Could you imagine Sarah? Could you imagine the mama? Woo, buddy. Could you imagine her in the tent? And this is before Tums, right? <laughs> it's like this. Could you imagine her waiting? And going, how, how is life going to be? My boy. The one that, my boy. I was there when the angel said I was going to be pregnant. I laughed at him. And that was, he's, he's the miracle. What is happening? Can you imagine that? And I think about that and I go, oh, that's so cruel. I've had a child. I almost lost, lost Kendall when she was three months old. And I, those moments, that time, that oh, I just want to puke, like, to be real moments. To think about that, that's what they're going through with every step of the mountain. And Abraham is saying, you know what? Isaac was given to me, and I give him back to God. And a weird, hard story becomes one of obedience. Because Abraham understands something that I don't understand, that I'm trying to understand. And I think it can change the way in which we view even our, all of our parenting. That parenting is not a right. It's a privilege. God has given us 
this amazing opportunity to say, hey, you get, to, you get this responsibility. I've given you this responsibility. The miracle of life has come to you, and you are privileged with this responsibility. But I am still God. See, God gave them, had to miraculously give them Isaac. And it's not like God, who provides all the miracles, can say, here's another one. But when I feel that I'm on the same plane as God, I have a problem with that story. When I remember he's the master and that it's all his, everything, my children, my job, my grass on, in my property, my property, everything in my bank account, everything that's not in my bank account, everything is his. When I have the mentality that it's all his, that everything I've been given is a privilege, not a right, my life, my, my idea starts to change a little bit. I start to understand where God's coming from in this. Because out of this test, out of this this crazy, crazy, crazy challenge, this is a moment in which God transforms Abraham on this moment. That mountaintop experience is one of the most foundational shifting of who Abraham's going to be. Because if you can trust God with your very son and say, God, I don't know what you're going to do at the end of the day. He doesn't have the writing on the wall. He's not like, God's just going to pull a fast one on me. He's going to be like, psych! Here's a ram. You're okay. He, he has no idea. He just knows I'm going to be obedient with God. There's things in our own lives. There's challenges that we're facing. There's things that we have no idea how this is going to come. God may be calling you to change jobs. God may be calling you to go to a school that you're like, I don't know why I'm there. I don't know how I'm going to afford it. I don't know what that's going to look like. God may be calling you to all kinds of interesting things. And you're like, God, the list of excuses because of inconveniences or this is not how I wanted to plan out my life is really, really big. So God must be wrong. There's a problem with that. Is that that makes us, that makes us God and not God. We have an issue there that we have to deal with in our own lives. Are we viewing the things that we've been given? Are we viewing the things in our life as privileges or as rights? Uh, my son was given an extravagant gift this week. He was given an iPad. Um, and in and my son gets very tunnel vision on uh, uh, whatever he thinks is his. So if it's a video game or a Pokemon cards or whatever it is, it's like the rest of the world's like, Bowen, 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 Bowen. I could slap him in the back of the head. He's not coming out of it. It's like, get out of this. You know, he, he's, just, he's just there, <laughs> right? Um, and so this morning I come downstairs and he's on the, on the iPad. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning to play on the iPad because you think dad's still asleep. Like this, I mean, creative, kudos to you, but now you're going to be cranky for the rest of the day, so no. Um, and, and, and I look at him, I was like, hey, this extravagant gift that's been given to you, I didn't say extravagant gift to my, uh, to my son, but hey, I know this has been given to you, I know it's new, but the same rules apply that applied to your TV time yesterday apply to you now. I was like, and I'm so proud of him because there's no whining, there was no crankiness. There was no fine or it's mine or any of that. He just gave it back to me. I was like, yes, I don't have to, I don't have to kill him today. Uh, so, but I was thinking, I was like, he understood there in that moment. Now, he might have had thoughts, but he was smart enough to keep his mouth shut. He was understanding that that is a privilege, not a right. And I use him as an example because there's a lot of things in my life that I look at and I'm like, oh, God, why are you doing this? 
because I think they are owed to me. Nothing is owed to me. God bought my past, my present, my future. It's all his. It's not mine anymore. If I call myself a follower of Christ, it's all his. And guess what? As the good father, as the great father, he's got better for me planned than I ever could imagine for myself. So when we listen to this this crazy, crazy story of Abraham, we just need to think and, and meditate on the idea of that, is my problems, are those problems coming out of a place of privilege? Have I given my life to God? Have I just said lip service? Yeah, God, I give you my life. But I, that means I'd really like you to do this, this, and this, and bless me this way, and fill my bank account this way, and I, I will never get sick ever again, right? I'm going to live forever because that's cool, right? You good, good with that? Okay, okay. No, that's not how this works. But that's how I, I, I tend to operate. Are we operating out of a place of privilege or a place of right? Can I ask what changes in our parenting, our thought processes, when we start viewing raising our kids not as an inconvenience, not as a right, not as work, but as a privilege given to us from God? I'm, I look at them differently. Because it's easy to look at your kids as work. Like, sorry, kids, your pains. Like, it's work. No one wants to clean up your mess. We don't want to clean up your mess. We, we don't. We, the million time, millionth and one time you clean up the bathroom, it's, it, it stopped being fun after one, right? It stopped being fun after we cleaned up that mess and this mess and the Lego stepping on. Oh, can I get an amen? <laughs> like, we, we just stop. But when we start looking at it as work, when we start looking at it as a, as, as a right or as a, even an inconvenience, we start missing the beauty of the gift that God has given us. It is a privilege that we get to invest in these little people. There's a couple things um, I want to kind of step into a little bit even more in this scripture, what it applies to our lives. See, and living out our faith, how does it, enough of the Abraham story, but how does this apply to my faith and how is it deepen in there? In living out our faith, we show a depth, show the depth of our faith. In living it out, we actually get to go public with our faith. And this is what James is kind of arguing for. He's like, you say you have faith. Congratulations. So does the demons. Let me show you the work that I do. Let me show you what my faith does in action. And then I'll show you faith. Because he's writing to a group of people who are Jews, probably Jewish Christians, and he's, he's writing some Gentiles, and they got this mix going on in there. And he said, listen, listen, all you Jewish people who think you're entitled to something because you're Jewish, Congratulations. You were circumcised. You had nothing to do with that. You were eight days old. Congratulations. I need to see your deeds. And when he says deeds or works or however you interpret that, what he means is verse 8 in chapter 2, which is the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So how are you loving people? How are you caring for people? How are you investing in people? That's what he's asking. Because I'll show you how I've loved people. I'll show you how I've cared people. And people know my faith through that. Not because I was born some way. Not because I, I, I did something one time. But I'll show you my faith from how I'm loving others. This is incredibly, incredibly important. Because to James, it's incredibly important to how Christianity starts. This is AD 50. This is incredibly important on how we're going to survive in cities all over the Mediterranean. But it's incredibly important to us today. Because the world is watching how we respond to orphans. The world is, is, is paying attention 
to how we respond to immigrants and refugees. The world is, respo- is, is wondering how we're dealing with heroin overdoses. The, the, the world is, is wondering, Christians, what are you doing? What are you doing? And this is important because we have to love people. We have to love our neighbors. Who's our neighbor? Everybody. Even the people you don't like. I hate that part. But it's in there. This also applies to your parenting as well. Um, your faith shows the depth, like your faith shows, living out your faith shows the depth of your faith um, because someone is always watching. Right? If you have kids, you see this all the time. If you have, uh, Lucy is, is 16 months old and Bowen is eight uh, years old and uh, he walks on water to Lucy. Kendall, she's like, eh, well, I'll take her or leave her. And they'll go get closer later when there's makeup involved and stuff. But right now, she wakes up in the morning, bobo, 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 bobo. She goes to bed at night, bobo, 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 bobo. If Bowen goes and grabs a ball and throws it at his sister, Lucy will go grab a ball and throw it at his sister. If Bowen does, uh, eats a Cheerio, she will eat a Cheerio, even though she doesn't even like Cheerios. Like, she just, she watches it all. And when we see that, our faith works the exact same way. If we're living out our faith, it is catchy. People are watching all the time. When I was a youth pastor, um, we, we had a, a small room with no chairs, and the kids would crowd. I would have to preach. I would have to stay still because there wasn't any room. I'd step on a kid, and I would be standing here, and they're all crowded around me. And uh, the kids, this is when smartphones just first started, so it really creeped me out. And all of a sudden, I started preaching. Their smartphones came out, and all these little lights because it was dark in there. These lights come, and I'm like, what is happening? At first, I really was creeped out by it. I didn't like it at all. And then I started realizing they want to capture this moment. They want to capture this. Because maybe I'm the only one that's speaking life into their lives as a 15, 16-year-old kid. Maybe that's what's going on. And when I started realizing they wanted to capture this, they wanted to share this, I was like, oh, my. The responsibility got even thicker. The responsibility got heavier. Because as we speak, as we teach into people's lives, as we live our lives, as we do this whole faith thing and live it out loud, it has reverberations because someone is always watching. And it matters. Second thing I wanted to bring to you was in living out our faith, our faith grows. When we take that step of faith, when Abraham goes up and is obedient in faith, his after that, he is, he is a changed man. His faith is so much deeper and wider because God was with me. He's present with me. Even in, when I was obedient, my faith grew. Some of you, I, we could ask stories and have stories and stories of how you were obedient in a tough time and how your faith grew in this. This is another thing. As we show our children and the people around us, the people even at work or uh, whatever our, our circle of influence is, Sometimes obedience doesn't make any sense. It may look weird. Why are you taking a job? You're losing half your paycheck because I I really feel like this is where God wants me to be. What kind of weird God are you serving? That looks funny to the American dream. That looks out of place because it's going to afford me less travel time. Maybe because I'm going to actually be at home with my family. Uh, I I actually see my wife once a week instead of, you know, have a roommate. Who knows what, what what that looks like for you. But the obedience grows the faith, and it shows, and it has ramifications. Obedience sparks growth. And finally, in living out our faith, our faith is proved. 
Living out our faith, our faith is proved. When you live out your faith, your coworkers, your neighbors, your kids see what the words actually mean. You can listen to me preach for hours and hours and hours. And I can counterdict and ruin my witness in about 30 seconds of you guys seeing me in my neighborhood. Right? Same thing with you. You can be like, oh, well, Bobby, you need to read your Bible and you need to love Jesus. Yeah, Dad, but you beat me every night. Living out our faith, our faith is proven. We have to be so mindful of where our priorities are. And I think it still goes back to the Abraham story. When we look back at the Abraham story, are we viewing the things of our life as privilege? Are we looking at the things and the ideas and the actions of our life as rights? We're pretty big on rights in America. It's a pretty big deal. But as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I forfeited all my rights. I am a bondservant of the Most High King. And with that, I get incredible privilege, but I forfeited all my rights. Living out our faith, our faith is proven. As we go from this place this morning, there's some questions I want to ask you. I want you to kind of ponder on and think about. The first is this. How are you living out your faith now, in this moment? If you examine this past week, has your faith made any impact on the decisions you made, the choices you did, or were you kind of just like you put, you put God on Sunday and, oh, well, I came to church, Jared, that's how I did. And you know what? That's an, an answer. It's an okay answer. It's an honest answer. And that's where we can start to improve from, right? Some of us don't even want to admit maybe we kind of failed this week. How are you living out your faith right now? How are you doing this week? Second thing. How can you help your family be more active in living out your faith, out their faith? How can you help your family? How can you motivate that? Now, that's the top down, you will do your devotions and you will do this. Okay, dad. And you're scared of it and you don't get anything out of it because I'm, 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 my relationship with God is based out of fear of my father instead of out of love of God. Now, that would be a problem, all right? But how can you as a dad or a mom or, or in, a brother or a sister model faith so they want to live it out? I still remember, there's a few things I, I remember. Uh, my dad and I went uh, on a Christmas Eve, I believe, and delivered uh, packages and Christmas dinner to somebody. I was in third grade. I remember those images like they happened yesterday. It was faith lived out. I remember the smell of the apartment we walked in. I remember all of that. Faith lived out. I remember doing a ride along with my dad with a homeless man because he wanted somebody else in the car and he had to take him to a hotel or whatnot. I was probably f- sixth grade at that time. I remember faith being lived out. I, I remember these moments where I watched a youth pastor do something or watched a, watched a mentor do something. I was like, what are they doing? And it took the courage to say, you know what, I'm gonna, this is inconvenient. This is not what I had on my to-do schedule today. This is not even where my money I w- had planned to go, but I'm going to do these things today. I'm going to live out that faith. And dads and moms and, and brothers and sisters, when you live out that faith, this has a, such a huge reverberation in their lives. This is how we easily evangelize every single moment of our lives. How can you help your family be more active in living out their faith? Dads, are we providing opportunities in which we 
ask our kids to come along and be mentored with us. See, that changes when we don't think of our kids as a to-do list or or an obligation, but as a privilege. See how that shifts in your mind a little bit? I get to pour into Bowen. I get to pour into Kendall. I get to love Lucy. I don't have to. I'm not cursed with it. It is a privilege. And finally, what opportunities are available to you right now to love your neighbors better? What opportunities are available right now to love your neighbor better? There's all kinds of opportunities. Um, we have opportunities to love your neighbor better. Um, we have my cul-de-sac is getting kind of close, and uh, we uh, we're, we're all taking different vacations at different times, and it's, we're kind of trading off being the neighborhood watch for each other. We're trading off mowing each other's grass. We're trading off kind of like, hey, why don't you do this? Or I know so-and-so's going on vacation for a week, and they're trying to do that whole laundry thing. Have you ever tried to do laundry with kids when uh, you're trying to go on vacation? It's fun, <laughs> right? It's like, hey, why don't you send your kids to our house for three hours? We'll feed them, you get your stuff done, and then we'll send ours back to you, and you, we'll get our stuff done, right? Like, we trade off because it's just like, ah, and then you're in a better, happier spot, and you don't want to murder anyone. Um, it, that's, that's usually the goal of parenting right here, okay? Um, but what opportunities are available right now to love your neighbor better? Opportunities are everywhere. We just have to open our eyes, and that changes when we change our eyes, we change our mentality to this is something I have to do to something I get to opportunities are a whole lot more um, exciting. I look for opportunities to go to a baseball game. I look for opportunities to have fun. I look for opportunities to go kayaking. I, I look for opportunities to go hang out with a friend. I look for opportunities to do these goofy things, right? I don't look for opportunities. I have to mow the grass. Oh, can I mow the grass? Did it, I think my neighbor does, but I do not. Uh, you know, I, can, I, can I do these things? Can I, ooh, could I do that? And we have to shift our, eye, our eyes, we have to shift our viewpoints to, I get to do life with my neighbors. I get to raise my kids. I get to love people. I get to serve an amazing, amazing God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. Lord, we ask you to be with us and guide us. Lord, I ask you to, to prompt a heart change in us, that we would change from seeing the world as a bunch of rights and, and, and that it would change to a privilege, that we are honored, we have been gifted this amazing opportunity. Lord, I ask you to move in my heart, that I would see where I'm, I'm getting entitled, that I, w- I would see where I think I deserve something, and, and you would shape me so I could say, you know what, I'm giving it all back to you. This is a privilege, and I'm going to soak up every second of it. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.